Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And if social distancing is making you a little stir crazy, the coronavirus has stressed you out. Well, Duff McKagan is here. Have no fear. He's got a temporary break for you with a huge laugh with the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. It's Duff McKagan calling you. I'm in Los Angeles, California, driving to rehearsal, getting ready for my tour, South America and whatnot. I, uh, I don't know how I told you the story before. I... You know, my first day of PE class, I forgot my my gym clothes, uh, so I had to do the class in my underwear, and and uh, that's how I lost my job as a gym teacher. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> Listen, Duff, thanks for uh, making us laugh. Never missing a call during this trying time. Um, well, trying to make us laugh during this trying time. Duff's at home with his family after Guns N' Roses were forced to postpone their tour of South and Central America which was supposed to start later this month. Coronavirus has them rescheduling those dates to November. Guns are still planning to hit North America this summer. Dates still scheduled to start July 4th in Milwaukee. Hopefully life will be a little bit back to normal by that time. In the meantime, we have a, a big uh, announcement about the Fozzie Save the World Tour that's uh, happening April and May. Uh, it looks like we're going to be postponed. Um, we're going to have a full, full uh, details about that on Tuesday. And I said postponed, not canceled because we've rescheduled most of the dates. In the meantime, we're going out in July. It seems like a year from now, but we're going to be going out to Columbus, Grand Rapids, Chicago, Indianapolis, doing the Rock Fest in Cadott, Wisconsin, doing shows in July and August, and Kiss Cruise October 30th. Well, let's just get through the trying times right now. Um, lots of great stuff going on uh, in AEW. If you saw our first closed set show, the debut of the Exalted One, Luke Harper, and more importantly, the debut of Matt Hardy made his secret surprise debut at AEW on Wednesday night. You hear how it all came down. And even though Matt is uh, against me on a different team at Blood and Guts, he's with the Elite. Of course, I'm with the Inner Circle. Matt and I have no problems as of right now. And uh, he's an old friend and with a huge, huge jump from WWE to AEW. So we'll hear the whole story right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. All right, so uh, strange time in the world today, but the show must go on, as we always say. And um, in AEW, we had built up a really great storyline that culminated tonight, which is the 18th. We're supposed to be in Rochester, which is the home of uh, Brody Lee. He was going to make his debut as kind of a swerve of the Exalted One, and it would lead to the debut of uh, Matt Hardy as the fifth member of the Elite. And it's interesting because, first of all, listen, you're on the Elite Squad. That's great. You and I have known each other for 20 years. No animosity yet. Next week, it might be different. The week after that, it might be different. But we've known each other for a long time. And kind of a strange night for this debut, which was supposed to be in front of 6,000 screaming fans and ended up being in front of six in the empty arena in Jacksonville. Yes, it was definitely a strange night. Uh, the world is in a very strange, uncertain place right now. And I have to tell you, if the inner circle would have been a man down, I might have joined forces with you. Who knows? I would have called you. You know? So, <laughs> so, so I was a free agent. I was trying to get this get a contract. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to get that contract. As Booker says, I'm trying to get that contract, you know? But it's funny, though, because we've been talking for, you know, for a, a bit. And like we said, this is a huge deal to have Matt and to have Hardy uh, have uh, uh, we, I'm going to say Harper. I mean to say Brody Lee, the big double swerve. And we had like, this is going to be great. And it's going to go to Rochester, go to Newark. And then 
as they say, uh, life is what happens when you make other plans. And totally just within a week, complete turnaround. How was that for you when two weeks ago you're super excited, your contract runs up and you're ready to come in, seeing the world kind of change? Yeah, man. I mean, I was extremely excited and 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 pumped about debuting in rochester and especially being a double debut you get Mm -hmm. Brody lee and you get matt hardy and i think like evil uno and those guys the dark order guys they did a great job playing into the current fan base the smart fans as far as like maybe matt hardy is the exalted one and aw the people who book it did really well uh with that concept also but to me i feel like with that diehard audience as they continue to exponentially get larger and and they're smarter and there's so much technology and information out there. Our job is to keep them guessing Mm -hmm. what our next move is. And I thought we did a really good job at keeping them guessing. Like a lot of people thought that I was coming to AEW, but they didn't know what my role would be. So that's really what I worked hard to keep them guessing on. And uh, it it was still a home run tonight in an empty arena audience, Mm -hmm. you know, but like uh, considering the reaction that we got back from the TV audience, I was just very happy with it. And I felt like I'd done my job. Well, and that's the thing. Like we, we can't control this. And we've talked about this earlier, and we can mention how weird it was when, when 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. We were in Houston. Yes. You were there. We were there. All of us were there. And I think we were in San Antonio driving to Houston for SmackDown. Monday, we did the Monday show. And when we woke up in the morning in San Antonio, the and world the had ended. Mm-hmm. And we had to stay in Houston for a couple of days amidst, amongst all of this uncertainty to put on our show which was completely opposite. It was the first major public gathering. But to me, the vibe was the same. We didn't know what was going to be happening. Kind of similar tonight, but without 10,000 people you know, chanting USA, there's right. six of us because it's not USA now. It's the whole world. Right, yeah. I mean, it, just the, the level of uncertainty was just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know, Especially looking back at 9-11, and tonight it was as well. But it's even for us as performers, it's just such a strange odd environment to go into without a crowd mm-hmm. you know especially like when you're on a top brand uh, a global television show you know that always has an audience that is super vocal and super active and super interactive and and there's just none right it's, it's just insane and, and it's just it takes a huge part away from the actual event it's funny because we based around vanguard one mm-hmm. your, your your fine friend similar to my fine friend the Obscenely expensive Geratron 5000. Yeah, Vanguard <laughs> One, man's best friend. More loyal than a dog. <laughs> well, see, just here's a little bit of uh, uh, trivia for everybody listening. Had we been in Rochester, we weren't allowed to fly Vanguard inside the arena. There's, uh, is it FCC? Like the actual airport rules. Mm-hmm. For some reason couldn't drive a drone in there. So it, 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 we would have had to done it from the outside, which would have been fine. But, you know, it's one of those things like when it was happening, I couldn't see it or couldn't hear it. And they just kept telling me to stretch, stretch. So I'm just like talking stuff. Hey, Orange Cassidy, you're an idiot. And then finally, Matt goes, hey, Matt Jackson goes, hey, look at this. And I was like, oh, finally, it's there. Had there been 6,000 people, somebody would have seen it prior and pointed, and there would have been that reaction. But with nobody there, it was very strange because there's nothing until it's like, oh, there it is. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely different because once again if you have vanguard one a drone flying in it's an inanimate object and, and once again like if it did the landing in the ring originally the drone was going to fly back to me and we we're going to try and get a real cool beauty shot but right. that didn't happen so like i went ahead and went live because we were actually doing live tv so it was kind of like an audible 
You know? And I had no idea it was supposed to fly back to you. Right. And that's one of the great things about AEW. As over-rehearsed as WWE can be, you know every single thing. In, WWE, in AEW, sometimes the stuff slips through the cracks and you're forced to improv, which is kind of what the essence of what wrestling really is. It is. That, that, that is actually truly the essence. Like being able to change you know, in, in a moment's notice and go a different direction and, and really base whatever you're doing off the reactions you're getting. Now, it, obviously, it was a strange night, different night, but your first, because you were sequestered for a while, but when you finally got to AW, what were some of the, did you notice any differences tonight in comparison to WWE? I mean, just such a laid back atmosphere. You know, obviously, there, it was kind of like minimal as far as personnel was there and talent, you know, so, so that was cool. It's like I knew the majority of people that were there working. I'd either worked with them in the past at WWE or at Impact Wrestling, whatever it may be. And just the, the, the one thing that I really noticed is like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And they're like, that sounds great. <laughs> as opposed to like, well, we've got to ask so-and-so. And then we have to ask so-and-so. <laughs> yeah. And then he has to ask Vince, you know, as, as far as going through all those different levels of authority. It was just like, sure, that sounds great. You know, and it made it super easy. I did some promos and vignettes at the end of the night. And I was just like, this is what I'm thinking about saying. Does it sound cool? And they said, sounds cool. Yeah. And I did it. So it was just very easy and just very, it, it was very refreshing just to like not have any kind of restraints on you and just mm. go and be creative and do your thing and do you because nobody nobody does themselves better than them. Well, and it, it's like we're saying, I mean, you've been doing this 25 years, give or take. I'm almost 30. Mox is probably close to 20, 15 at least. And all of us, Cody, mm -hmm. have really thrived in this environment. Dustin Rhodes, I mean, he they're ready to put him out to pasture. And I think once yeah. we start... You know, like I said, you're coming in at a very strange time. But I think you, much like Moxley, when you really get a hold here, a foothold, and are able to unleash your creativity, which we saw in Impact, which was the best thing on Impact for a while, I think you're going to just go be out of control here. You're going to have so many ideas. And that's that's what we want from, from our guys is you said from the AW. There is no AW bookers. We are right. the bookers, but we're all doing it together. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's where the magic happens. Right. When, when the talent knows their strengths and their weaknesses and, and you really, you know, you gravitate towards your strengths. And I, I think basically, you know, the whole framework of AEW from what I've seen so far is there's like an outline. This is kind of where we want to go. This is kind of how, what we'd like to do to get there. How do you suggest we get there? Mm -hmm. And then the talent fills in the blanks. And, and that's, that's magic. That, that's the beauty of this business. So you guys came back. I remember it was... We can go into it further. It was uh, WrestleMania in WrestleMania thirty three. Yep, that's when I worked Kevin Owens. So, yes, so that was my last one. So that was three years ago already. So we'll talk about that side of things. But what led you to want to get out? And also, too, once again, leaving without your brother, who's a big part of your. I can't remember a time when you didn't work with your brother. I'm sure there has been, but it seems like he's always right. with you at some point. Yeah, I mean, we're obviously very known together synonymously close yeah uh but but i i just think it got to the point where wwe has so many talents in their contract and the reason they have all these talents in their contract is because they don't want anyone else having people that could like move the needle or like make a difference or like you know cut into their business at all so it's just like they're trying to scoop up all the talent across the globe right you know as, as far as monopolizing the business you know, once AEW started, and it was another place that had a, a great TV show on TNT, uh, Star Power. I mean, you're the guy that, you know, really kicked it off and 
were, were the man that like really established AEW in many, many ways because you had the greatest name value. And the, once this was going on and it allowed other options, to me, I could have stayed at WWE. They, they tried very hard to sign me. They offered me very good money. But I know my role would have been minimized. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, for me, more important than money right now is just like to totally utilize my creativity. And these last three, four years, whatever I might have to do this, I, I want to enjoy it. I want to like be driven and fueled by the passion I have for this. And I, I want to be creative and I want to have fun. And at WDB, a lot of times they suck the fun out of things because it becomes such a business and you just become a cog in the machine. And, and to me, it wasn't about being a cog in the machine and like making X amount of dollars. To me, it was about enjoying what I was doing and really like enjoying every single second I have left doing this. And AEW just turned out to be the, the best case scenario for me. You know, because talking from my standpoint, like I worked there straight for almost 20 years. And I was like, I'll never work in the States. I'll never work for anybody but Vince. Mm -hmm. And then the idea for New Japan. We, we came, had conversations we during did. this time. Yeah. Because, and we'll get into this. You and I are the two examples of complete reinvention mm -hmm. that led to complete career extension. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, reinvention equals extension. Yes. But, and that comes from a, a creativity standpoint. So when I w had left to do the Fozzie stuff, when Judas first started taking off, I had no intentions of ever going anywhere. And then I worked the match with Kenny in New Japan. And that's when I was like, oh my gosh, like I forgot what wrestling is. And this is not a cut down of WWE, but like you said, they do things that way. It's very successful, but it's, it's Vince's world and his machine. Mm -hmm. And then I go away from that just for one match, dude. And I was like, I, re I remember what wrestling's about. And then I did a few more matches in Japan. Then the AW thing came up and it's like, you know what? I, I don't want to do it anymore that way. I want to do it my way. What was it? Because for me, I never left. You left for a long period of time and became Broken Matt mm -hmm. in, in TNA and right. in Impact. And before that, you were Big Money Matt and all this other stuff. Did you get originally let go from WWE the first time? Did you get fired? Did you leave on your own? I can't remember. Well, uh, the first time with WWE, yeah. I got let go. That was in 2005. Right. But it was only for a few months. Yeah. I got myself hot and right. I was hired back. And then in 2010, I actually... Asked for my release, but I was also in a very bad place. Right, yeah, just you, in my life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I needed to address myself, and I, and I think a big part of my problem was just that, like, as I was getting older, and at that point, I was, you know, gosh, seventeen, eighteen years in. Yeah, you know, nonstop. Like I, I started in, in, in ninety two, like probably nonstop from ninety six to ninety seven. Wow. Yeah, in in ninety two, but obviously those first few years were just here and there. Mm -hmm. But then, like, uh, after running hard for so long, and especially all the stuff we did as, you know, Team Extreme and the Hardy Boys, all the crazy bumps and TLC matches nonstop, it's just like my body, I couldn't perform like I used to in 2010. And then I remember saying, like, you know, I'm hurt. I need to, I need to take some time away. I need to do this. And I'm like, no, you're a very dependable guy. You can help young, new, green talent. You can, we can put you out on the road with a big guy, and you can help teach them and, and get them through the match and make them feel comfortable. And I just kind of wasn't able to come off the road. And then whenever I asked someone about my injuries and, and being hurt, I ended up being prescribed pills from doctors at that point. And that, that was it. And that was my downfall at that point. And then it got to the point where dealing with the stress of the WWE job, I was almost like, well, damn, I'll take a couple more. And then I don't have to, I don't feel the stress as much, you know? So that's what it was. It was a, a huge lesson about learning truly about myself mm. going through all that. And then like once I, in many ways, rendered myself obsolete and kind of deleted myself off the scene for a little while i just healed up physically mentally emotionally across the board and then when i stuck my toe back in it ended up being ring of honor 
I did some indie stuff here and there. And then I was like, okay, I can do this. I just have to change the way I work. Mm-hmm. I have to be smarter. I have to work uh, in, in a way that is relative to my age and, and, and the way my bump card has been filled up mm-hmm. at that point. You know, and that's, that's actually why Broken Matt Hardy started in the beginning, just so I would be more entertainment driven, more, you know, much more of a character than anything else. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I learned a lot of lessons through that. And now I've worked really hard the last four or five years to like get myself in shape and take care of my body. And I'm very, very healthy in the big scheme of things, you know, but I just have to work smart. I have to work, you know, in a way that is relative to my age. All right. Um, but you know, it's f- so funny um, because I remember when I was a kid, I used to go to AWA before WWE came in, Nick Bockwinkle and Baron Von Raschke and Crusher and mm-hmm. all these guys. And dude, these, I don't know how old Bockwinkle was. He's, he, he must've been 50. He might've been 40, but he was old and super over everybody hated him if you watch his matches he didn't do anything but he just had such great presence and and really knew that character aspect and then you go like to hogan in the 80s like they never did anything but they had the crowd on the palm of their hands i don't think you really you us in general understand what wrestling is really about until you get to that 40 age Mm -hmm. and then you realize like it's all about character and connecting with the audience. How do I connect with the audience? You know, there's guys that you'll see the roster as you watch more. There's guys that can do these guys before the show starts, they'll be sitting in the ring doing double shooting star presses. And I'm not kidding to pop each other. Watch this one. Eight fifty. Watch this one. Seven twenty seven. Like, what are you guys doing? There's nobody here. Well, we're just, we're just fooling around. And I'm like, I hate everyone at QT Marshall, Brandon Cutler. These Guys are doing shooting star presses and like double moonsaults. They, they, I mean, no offense, they don't look like that type of guy. And right. I'm like, the, the world has changed. Of all these guys are so athletic, but it's the connection with the audience and the character development that we've understood that really takes you to the next level. Yeah, I mean, and, and that is ultimately what bonds you with the fans, and that's what makes you money. And it, it is almost like a cruel joke in some ways with the business when you're young and healthy and you can do everything and anything. (laughs) You don't even think about that until you get hurt and injured enough that you're forced to think about that. Mm -hmm. And then like what you said, you said that, that 40 years of age or whatever, you know, typically you get to an age and you're like, Oh, I have to change up my stuff. This is going to work. But in some ways this is better because now I'm doing what I need to do to connect with the audience. And, and you're a lot like me. And I say that with, with great respect. I was never the highest of flyers. I was never a big body guy, but I could always do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. So that when I got older, like I, I do a moonsault and a springboard drop. That's all I'd ever really done. And you were always like that within the Hardy Boys because Jeff obviously, Jeff is Darby Allen, this weird right. X Factor guy that will do anything, can do anything. And you were, I always felt that, and not felt, I know for sure, but even watching it, you kind of quarterback that. Mm-hmm. You might have been more apt to put together the spots that made Jeff look like the hero and the, and the star, but you were kind of the guy behind the scenes. For so many years, when we first really got over as the Hardy Boys, Team Extreme, Jeff would just say, like, all right, tell me what to do, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, just like, tell me what to do, what fits where, and, yeah. and I'll do it. And, it. and it really is. I realized, too, like, there's no use in me trying to do all this stuff because I can't do it as good mm-hmm. as him. You know, he's like a very, very freak athlete and he's an anomaly in many ways especially with the way he didn't get hurt especially early on in his career with all the insane stuff he was doing so i realized like okay i have to play to my strengths and and for me it was a great opportunity i was given whenever we did break up 
and I went to SmackDown, and we were on separate brands, and I got to do the Matt Hardy version one thing. And I was the Sensei of Attitude. And, and it played into a character that was much more <laughs> sensei of attitude. easy for me because it was like this larger-than-life delusional character who believed he was like the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, and I could do that, and I could do that well. And I even feel like now, coming to AEW, especially if I was in Vince's world, because you know how Vince is too. Like once his mind is made up on something, that's how he sees it it's forever. It's hard to get out of it. Yeah. It really is. You know, when you have Edge and Christian, Edge was always the guy of the two. When you have Matt and Jeff, Jeff was always the guy because, you know, universally, he's always been more popular. It just, it is what it is. But, you know, it's hard to break that mold. So I felt like even coming here to AEW and even having time where Jeff still is under contract at WWE, this is really good for me because it gives me an opportunity to be me and really highlight and focus on my strengths. And especially doing Broken Matt, I really know what I'm doing this time around. And the one time that that, that wasn't the case where, where Jeff was kind of the the – the star that you, oh, you guys are both stars, huge stars, but where Jeff was kind of the more focused on when you did the broken mat with the lake of reincarnation, yeah. the, I felt Jeff was almost following along because it was so character driven and we know Jeff, he's the best guy ever, but he's super laid back. He's Jeff Hardy. Right. And you had this ramped up, ridiculous, insane character. <laughs> that was one time when I felt like he was just like, all right, man, I'll follow along, but I don't know what I'm doing, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and I really do. I kudos to him, and I greatly appreciate how well he went along with the whole brother Nero stick. It's like I had an idea, like I think we can do this, and I think ultimately, even though I'm a a bad guy here, I think I'll become a good guy if you roll with it in this certain way. And at first, he was kind of he would look at me like confused and like oh, I don't know, I don't know. And I was like, really, like I want to do this. So you don't do a whisper and a win and a swan time during every match. And you don't dive out of the ring two times every match. Right. I want to like preserve your body too. That's why I'm forcing you to be brother Nero and you can't be a spot monkey anymore. And, and, and he was like, <laughs> what? And then once we started doing it, he was like, I remember one time he told me, he said, Man, this is really cool. I like this. I just like sing a little bit and don't have to do the swan time and everything else. Don't jump off the ropes. This is cool. And it, he really got behind it and he really enjoyed it and he had a blast doing so it. So how did you, and, and we talked about, so we, we actually did one of my favorite podcasts ever where we spoke completely too broken Matt for an hour yeah. which was great but uh, like I said that character was summer of 16 17 yeah 17? yeah started summer of 16 went through we that's one March of those of ones that's one of those ones that when you would put a new one out uh, monitor sell it we were in Japan at the sumo arena and the new one had just come out and we we uh, we had a rule if you want to watch it you got to come sit down and we'll show it continuously but you can't come in halfway through. And I remember Cena was one of them. He's like, I got to do it. Like, well, you got to wait for the next showing. <laughs> and he came back in. You know, John, he's like, okay, I'll wait, I'll wait. And, like, and we're just gathering around. It was so much fun. It's yeah. so entertaining. How did you create that character? Where did it come from? A lot of that came from television shows I watched. Uh, and I'll be honest. This is probably the most, uh, the most straightforward, honest answer I can give. True Blood was one of the shows I first watched. Whenever I like, had burnt out at the end of my WWE run, and then once I start, started doing some Ring of Honor, and eventually I ended up going back to Impact. And I wasn't working full-time. I discovered television. I was a big fan of Dexter. Uh, True Detective later on became a big love of mine. But True Blood also is a show I enjoyed. And following these vampires who lived in all these different eras and different time periods, and they were like relative to the era. And I was like, I wish I could like have a character like that. That's really what I want to do. So I started thinking about it and trying to ap apply like uh, the life of a vampire who's lived 2,000 years to a wrestling character. And then what I came up with was like, what if something happened to me? 
where it was like this big traumatic incident it ended up being Jeff diving off the top of the impact zone that broke me. But it like opened up parts of my mind and I use more of my mind than a regular human does. And like I become conscious, uh, conscious of like where my soul has been in different bodies and different vessels. So it's like you have a soul that like lives in a, in a vessel, a body for so long, and then that vessel dies and then it moves on to the next one. And that was my whole motivation behind creating Broken Mad. It was like more or less from True Blood and seeing like vampires who'd lived for thousands mm -hmm. of years in different time periods. That had different experiences. Yeah, they had, had a girlfriend in the 1300s and a girlfriend in the 1500s, or you know, they, they, they lived at one point through the Black Plague. Mm -hmm. You know, then maybe they lived through World War II. You know, or just just different time periods like that, which totally allows you to change up so many things. And even before I left TNA, I started doing some of that, where I reverted back back to the King in Gold, which was uh, my original vessel, which was from Alexandria. Egypt, you know, which like King Tut or something. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I, I had a whole bunch of ideas of, of different things to do. And now that I'm here at AEW, uh, I actually have started again. Now my vessel Zenith was killed off by Kennegan. I never uh, revealed this yet, but like <laughs> Kennegan ultimately becomes like a kind of a reference, like for uh, an essence that is like you know Vince and the WWE in some ways. And Kennegan. You know, <laughs> You know, because like the, the, the very end, Kennegan, like, you know, is Kennedy. And then the, at the very end, the Gin is like Negan spelled backwards, where it's like a sanctuary. And if you know Negan from The Walking Dead, like you come in, you can have a good life there. But like you have to like bow down to him and do whatever he says. And that is kind of the deal. And that's where I created that turn. And then uh, Abomination was the other thing. And that was like an extension from, from Bray. And, and I love that I took like Abigail and Bray being deleted in the Lake of Reincarnation and then I got part of Abigail and Abomination in the water whenever I was being trying to find my broken brilliance in the whole Free the Elite thing. I tried to tie in like different universes. And I loved doing the stuff with Randy Orton at the very end because I was able to tie that in to a different universe, which allowed me to come into AEW as a new character. Now my new essence is Damascus as opposed to Zenith. Zenith died. He was killed by Abomination and Kennegan. And now I am in Damascus. Damascus is in my vessel. And Damascus is, a, is an older, more powerful essence. The hair is red, obviously. And Damascus is from 999 BC. A lot more vicious, a lot more serious. Dude, I, first of all, if I was stoned right now, I'd just be like, this is, dude. <laughs> this reminds me of when I was about 12 years old playing Dungeons and Dragons. And we would play for weekends at a time. And I would come home and I would tell my mom all of this stuff like you're telling me and she'd be like i don't know what you're talking about but the imagination that you're showing for this is off the charts and this is what i love about your kind of breakthrough like listen you were a huge star but the broken mat was different level shit for me and that that, that <laughs> description you just gave like that's a novel it's like frank herbert and dune or something like that how long were you sitting down thinking about this? did you put it on paper how are you coming up with all this? I, I, I mean, a lot of that really just like I, I drew stuff from my from television shows I watched. But are you writing it down and coming this beget this? No, this? So, sometimes I would. I, I would try and make it a habit. If I came up with something that was a really great idea, I would try and put it in my phone so I wouldn't forget about it. Even like when I said like, you know, my, my primal passenger, that was a big thing with Broken Matt back in the day. And that was even from like Dexter and the Dark Passenger. Yeah, I was yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so like, I was so inspired by that. Fozzie has a song called Dark Passenger, yeah, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrote you that know, about him. So many cool things. And like uh, 
Rustin Cole from True Detective, an amazing character. There's a lot of things I tried to pull. Was from that him. Uh, McConaughey? Or yeah, yeah, Matthew great. McConaughey. That was yeah. the be- that was the best season of True oh, Detective. Oh my god, yeah, it's never even come close. No, I mean it was off the charts great. Yeah. Uh, it, so so there was definitely things I pulled, and like there's just so much great content and so much media out there to watch nowadays. I, I'll watch something, and if I'm very intrigued and interested by a show, I'll usually be able to find something that I go, I could apply this to my character in some mm-hmm. way and, and, and make it work. And the cool thing about Broken Matt and the Broken Universe is like kind of anything is possible, especially like the Hardy Compound is like a property where like everything is magic. So there's really, it's like limitless. There's no Does boundaries. Jeff live there too? This is just your... Yeah. No, yeah. You guys we, both we, live on the same yeah. plot of land, yeah, we, so to we, speak? Yeah, we, ha- we have 80, 80 some acres. In the woods. Yeah, in the woods. <laughs> the, the best place to be right now during the... Well, yeah, no kidding. Scare. I might yeah. come over. You might not right. let me in, but I'll <laughs> right. hang out at the gate. But um, I, I want to talk a little bit, because like I said, when, when, when we talked to Broken Matt, we talked about his whole essence, but actually talking to Matt Hardy, when you filmed all these amazing, I guess short films is the best way I can describe it. wasn't even a vignette. Mm-hmm. And there was so much invention and imagination and... I mean, obviously, Rebbe's your wife and then King Maxwell, but his senior Benjamin, like, where, where are you getting the ideas to, like, it's like a Ralphus thing. Like, do you just is he, do you see him around and you go, this guy would be great, or I just need a, a silent man? Like, senior Benjamin was huge. Yeah, it's incredible how people love that shit. That's why. No, they do. Yeah, I mean, senior Benjamin was so great. And, and, and the funny thing is, like, if you ever meet him, he is the nicest, sweetest guy alive in existence. And, and like, with him, I was just like, we have to keep him very limited. Mm-hmm. You know, people would say like, oh, brother, uh, he's a barico, right? I said, well, was he in the business? He worked for uh, Carlito's dad. <laughs> he didn't know anything about the business. Did he was ever, a superintendent in New York City. Is did what you he ever did. hear when Hoovy uh, was on Kona's podcast and he was like, he thought that Senior Benjamin was a Mexican? He's like, hey, you're, baby, we're from the same place, baby, we're in Mexico. Like, oh, I'm from uh, Puerto Rico. Oh, sorry, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a superintendent in in New York City. Yeah, like a, a building teacher. He, he, oh, okay. No, he was a super. He was the the super of the building. You know, took care manager, of manager. Yeah. yeah, janitor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and and did all the work in this big ass apartment building in Queens. And it was like he had no idea about wrestling. So like literally everything we did, we coached him through. So I would do everything I could to just try and protect him and make him seem like this guy who's like a gardener, which he really is, and he has a great passion for gardener from for for gardening and for having a garden. And uh, he's this gardener who, like, has this, like, mean streak, who, like, likes to do cruel and unusual things to people or prepare the battlefield for massacre or whatever it may be. And, and it's crazy. Like, we protected him very hard, and, and it worked, and he got over huge. So when you got Senior Benjamin, and I know that when I had Ralphus come on board, a little bit confused mm-hmm. as to what was going on, but that's kind of part of the charm of the character. Right. So how would you explain things to Senior Benjamin? Obviously, he speaks English. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. He's, he speaks English, uh, speaks Spanish. And a lot of times, my my wife, uh, you know, Queen Rebecca would be translating to him, you know, making sure he, that he understands speak it. perfect English. Then. No, no. no. He, he speaks English good. I gotcha. mean, he, but he still, yeah. But Spanish is by far right. his first language. So, like, if you want him to understand a situation, 100% is better if it's in Spanish. Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, did he start getting popular where people would see him on the street? And He would, yeah. He was, like, blown away. Like, I was giving him money from Pro Wrestling Tees, the T-shirts. <laughs> and he's like, he said, what, 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 is this for me? Like, you know, one time we did a, a big meet and greet at this big convention. And, and I, at the end, I gave him his money for his autographs. He's like, this is too much, Mr. Hardy. You know, like, Mr. This, is Hardy. Much, this is too much, Matt. Uh, but he's just, he's the most adorable, sweet yeah. guy. And he's just there forever. 
there for anything. And like without him, without him, it would be very hard raising three kids right now. He helps out a whole lot, especially my dad is in real poor health. Right, right, right. You know, Gilbert, so, so, shout out to Gilbert. Yeah, shout out to Gilbert the legend. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, Senior Benjamin helps out so much with the kids. Mm. He's such a good grandpa too. Let me ask you this from, from a standpoint of, of, we talk about King Maxell, obviously right off the bat, he was probably, I don't know, a year or two years when you started having him involved. Uh, yeah, zero, actually. <laughs> zero. When he started. Yeah, he wasn't even a year old. <laughs> so he's growing up kind of in the spotlight. I can see whenever you do stuff with him, he's just like, whatevs. He's yeah. Gonna, don't care, right? He, he's very, like, he's just very accustomed to it. Like, it's, it's, I was talking about having different characters, and he says, Dada, I have a different character. This is this is King Maxwell crazy version, and he throws his hair in his face, and he walks at me like he's the ring, and he's and he's like four years old. I mean, he like gets it, you know. And I'll even talk about when we're wrestling. Oh, the guy did that, and this is so funny too. He said, "Yeah, I saw that thing that, that Randy Orton did to you," and you know, and I go, "Well, you know, it, it's okay. Like, you know, we're we're okay." Besides that, and whenever the the Bucks came to our house, we were doing a free the Elite episode. There's this great outtake. I don't know if you happen to see it or not, but like. Uh, we had him run up. I thought this would be funny. The Bucks pull up, like the brick stars, right? And then Maxwell runs out and goes, hey, guys, is Orange Cassidy with you? And that was my idea, and the Bucks loved it. And, and he did that, and we did it a couple times. And then uh, my wife, who was shooting it, says, well, I want to do one more of those. And we were talking about the angle where Randy did the whole thing, like with the concerto yeah, and yeah, giving yeah. a concussion. We're talking about Randy Orton. And, and Maxwell, who that was from seeing the show. And then we go, okay, let's do one more take of this. And then Max will run in and he goes, hey, guys, is Randy Orton with you guys? And it's funny. He grabs his face and he goes, oh, God. Like, he knew he said the wrong thing. <laughs> and the outtake was so unbelievably good. And we all died laughing. <laughs> is that something you would do more of? Have the, as it was the, the broken family, I believe you called it? Yeah, that, just House Hardy. Yeah, would you do more of that? With- Absolutely. And, and I, I, I think we will here, you know, kind of mm. with the way, way things go. I, I think that's part of the whole charm of Broken Matt Hardy mm-hmm. because it's just like so different and so unique and, and so outlandish. And I love having characters to play off of and, and to be around different unique characters. I think it would get a big pop. Like we talk about Cody as the nightmare family and, you know, the Bucks have such a deep family, you know, bond as well. It mm-hmm. just kind of fits the whole, you know, vibe here. Right. Of, of AEW. Did you try and uh, pitch? Well, we, we, we'll talk about more in depth. When you went to WWE with this, did you try and have them involved? Yeah. I mean, it, we, we did it with the ultimate deletion. And it's funny, like I, I dealt with Ed Kosky and I just kind of, I wrote the whole thing up. And I gave it to Ed, and I think he like just tried to like clean it up a little bit and kind of gave it to Vince. And it's like it took forever to get a a final deletion type fight with Bray. We both wanted to, and I just said, "Man, we need these vignettes at home because like Broken Matt is not like a character that gets in the ring and wrestles every week. Like I need to do these vignettes, and like my wrestling appearance, I'm just much more of a gimmick, right? Mm-hmm. And then once Bray and I got together, like we we pitched this idea that i think would have been amazing and like literally we said like if we're going to be these two gimmicks that are like maybe supernatural characters or whatever maybe like bray had his compound burned down by randy you know like he'd lost his wyatt family (laughs) i had deleted him in the lake he didn't have anything but now he was my tag team partner because i'd cleansed him of abigail have him show up with like you know a a stick with a bandana tied on like a hobo (laughs) this guy shows up and he's like hey well i don't have anywhere else to go can i just crash here at the hardy compound you know, and then once he gets to the Hardy compound, we'll do things like, okay, you have to be part of the family. Senior Benjamin's like, okay, it's, it's your turn to ride the moor of lawns. You have to mow the grass. <laughs> you know, or maybe like King Maxwell comes out, you know, and he's like bossing him around. But then like we obviously build this bond and then we make him like this lovable character. And then like 
we don't wrestle every week whenever we're the tag champs. You know, we have these fun vignettes and like they can be funny, but then they can be serious mm-hmm. if we need to, whatever. And you build a bond and relationship between us. But like at that point, we're doing three hours of Raw and they just like they had us on TV doing like a three or four minute match every week. And it didn't help our opponents because they were getting massacred. And with us, it really didn't help us like having a strong win like that. It was much more about the characters of, of Broken Matt or, or Woken Matt mm-hmm. at that time and, and Bray Wyatt. But like we just could not get those vignettes approved and like. And I feel like it's one of those things, like, if Vince can't be there and, like, be in control of it, then he doesn't trust anyone Well, to do it's it. also a lot of it, too, and we all know this, that if it's not Vince's idea, Vince's character, it's really hard to yeah. convince him of it. And he's going to have to put his spin on it. Half, yeah. Not half it. The, the majority of the reason why it worked is it comes completely from your mind. Right. And you are getting guys, like I think you said Jeremy Borash was involved, or, yeah. you know, guys that you trust that you can help execute this vision that might throw some ideas in, but they're not going to completely, for lack of a better term, bastardize it. Right, right. You know? Man, J- Jeremy Borash and uh, and Jimmy, Jimmy Paradise, th- those guys were both Jimmy amazing. Paradise. Uh, he, he worked at TNA for the gotcha. longest time, and now he got he's hired at NXT. And he, works with, he was like JB's right-hand man in so many gotcha, ways. Gotcha, gotcha. But he's great with a camera. He was great like getting the psychology of the whole broken universe and the broken mat concept. And he was very good and creative at like, coming up with ways to film stuff to make it look magical or special or different. So mm-hmm. those guys were great to work with. Like we would come down before we do a shoot, like if we were doing vignettes in my house or, you know, like that delete or decay or the final deletion or whatever. We would like sit on my back porch, like at the table and we'd sit there and kind of talk about how we want to do it. And like, this is kind of what I envision. How should we shoot it? JB and Jimmy. And you know, they would kind of put their spin on it. They would give their ideas and it, it was just it was so much fun. And I can't put over JB and Jimmy enough because they were just great to work with super positive and, and just brought so many great creative ideas to the table. When you guys did the, uh, I can't remember the names of each one, where you and Jeff had a hardcore match, which at basically in your backyard. Was it, uh, which one was that? The Final Deletion, Final the first Le- one? First one. The one you watched in Japan? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the one we had. Well, that's when Jeff Final took deletion. the crazy bump out of the tree under the yes. ladder. and So that's a no people match. That's kind of what we did tonight. Yeah. How did you guys do that? Because, I mean, obviously... We know Jeffro, but that's a big freaking bump with nobody there. You're treating it like a Hollywood movie, but you're doing all your own right. stunts. Right, yeah. I mean, that, that was it. I mean, th- and that's kind of how we shot all those things. Like, you know, I just said, like, it's going to be a hardy, compa- uh, a hardy compound cinematic fight. And that was kind of like the terminology we used for that. And, you know, we'd shoot it in different pieces and we'd try and be as smart and as safe as we possibly could. It's funny that final deletion that you were talking about, we had like, there was three or four vignettes and then the match. It was about 20 minutes in total. And like we literally shot all that in like 16 or 17 hours. And that included getting a little bit of sleep. The last thing that we shot was the, the lawnmower scene where I drove the lawnmower and like messed up his beautiful designs so of his yard. And listen, that was real. If you guys saw that, Jeff really does cut his lawn with strange. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Do you, have you, do you know Darby Allen at all? Uh, I I don't. Okay. So Darby is, is the second coming of Jeff. Right. In that Darby has a house. Did you see that Lance Archer uh, thing they did today? That's all in Darby's backyard. Yes. Darby has yep. skate uh, mountains. Jeff has dirt mountains for his, his dirt bike. And, and Darby paints and draws weird things. And he doesn't do aluminummies, but he does sculptures. And I'm like, dude, you're so freaking Jeff Hardy. It's it's amazing. But to see to see that uh, that piece of work, it was like a short film, like I said. Did you, when you were coming back to, to WWE, did you try and come back as Broken Man? Because you guys, you guys surprise debuted at WrestleMania as the Hardy Hardy Boys. Right. 
I, I know it was the intention to bring us back as the Hardy Boys initially. And uh, Hunter, who was like, Triple H was very cool with doing the Broken Matt steps, said, oh, that'd be great. Maybe we get a run of the Hardy Boys and maybe we do Broken Matt. You know, and like we ended up getting to do, you know, Vince ultimately because people just kept saying delete over and over. And, and like that, that got over so much. That's like really what people want to see from me in this day and age. It's like the yes chant. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, once he ended up going with a version of that, you know, we ended up putting like a spin on it. So I guess it was like, you know, IPs that he would own, whatever it was, Woken Matt Hardy. But it was just so watered down from what we were doing originally. And, and, and I, I don't think he understood the concept of it. I mean, I, I think one of the, one of the things that was like so beloved by Broken Matt is like he would like wink at the audience and kind of break the fourth wall and say, you know, jokes that would that would make the the smart fans, the diehard fan base pop, you know. And and I don't I don't think Vince totally understood that, and I don't think he got it, and I don't think he would even want to play to those people as well, you know. So that that was one of the things that was really missing. And there was a point where I did the the Broken Matt Hardy laugh, and then Bray had laughed too. And when Vince heard the laughs together, he's like. Oh, this is this is funny shit. Let's let's roll with this. And then it was every week it was laughing at the end, over and over to overkill. <laughs> and I was like, oh come on, this became a rib, you know. And that's why even like when I made this thing, and Damascus became my essence in the the last free of the elite that just went up tonight when we were recording this. Uh, I made it. I made a very strong effort to make Broken Matt very serious and very vicious in that. And and that's that's what needs to. It's almost like he's being rehabilitated in right, some ways. Right. You know, and that's what the new essence is doing. I mean, there's a time where Broken Matt can be funny and be like super entertaining, but also people have to realize that you're a threat too. You have to be violent. You have to be vicious. Right. And and a lot of that got pulled out of me during that WWE run, mm-hmm. which kind of happens. But the whole yeah. concept of I think the original Broken Matt was a heel. Yes, he was. Right. Yes. You know, this crazy yes psycho who it's like a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Some of them yeah. believe they were living in another time or possessed or yes. whatever. That's the essence of this guy. Right. But you had to have known when you went to Vince's world that it was going to get watered down. De- definitely. Yeah. I was, expected that. Did it make it frustrating to you? Yeah. It's, it's definitely frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everyone goes there being optimistic that you can break through mm-hmm. or maybe achieve something different, but it, it's definitely frustrating. And then, like, once again, once you're a little older, and you, you probably experienced some of this as well. Like, I was not a star on your level. You know, you did stuff as a singles competitor, world champion right. several times over. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like once you get to a certain age, too, Vince is like, well, this guy's kind of old now. You know, once even for himself, yes. like it, it, it is at his age, he doesn't even want to be on TV That's because right. you're old. People, nobody wants to see an old person. And it's just like if you're a talent and you get to a certain age, he's kind of like, I don't know. I, don't I really- think that it really what is the saying? Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. He didn't learn when Savage and Hogan and Piper left in 94, 95. Right. And became legit pay-per-view draws, 96, 97, 99. And when AEW first started, because listen, I'm not sure if we talked around that time. I mean, we're in a group text that has a thousand texts a day. I'm sure <laughs> something came up about it. But none of us really, I didn't believe it. We've heard it a million times. A new guy, I remember when, when, when my manager first told me about this, this Tony Khan. And I'm like, all right, Google, Khan family. I like, oh, lots of money. But we've heard this before. But then when you yeah. actually figured out, like, oh, my gosh, this has the magic fruit lined up on the on the on the slot machine right you have a passionate billionaire who knows what he wants and understands the business you've got six to eight legit headliners whose contracts are all up at the same time and don't want to go to vince 
and you have a television station that wants to put on a show. Right. I couldn't believe it. So I think perfect storm, perfect storm. And so once, cause I told Vince, here's what it is. He goes, do it. Sign. Once I signed, he was confused. Like I've told the story quite a bit. Like, can you get out of here? Did you sign it? Yeah. Can you get out of it? I think once I signed, it changed the whole landscape for him. I went from being a guy where he's like, go ahead, do it until it's like, what? Why did you sign it? Because you told me to, because I was 48 years old and you probably thought, ah, we're done with it. Meanwhile, there's 10 more years left in guys like you and I's system that are smart on how to work, but are creatively stimulated, right? Yes. Yes. And so did that was when, when you were there and first heard about AW, what were your thoughts about it? I actually, uh, when we were in Ontario, California, about six or seven months before my deal was up, I met Matt and Nick and had dinner with him just to chat with him. I mean, we, we've been friends ever since, uh, you know, I, I met them when I first had my run in TNA. And then, like, we worked closely and we had worked together to come up with an angle where we were actually going to have TNA and Ring of Honor working hand in hand. In really? Conjunction. Yeah. I didn't know that. It, yeah. And we were going to do this whole angle with the Hardys and the Young Bucks. Right. From the Broken Mat stuff. And we'd started that, like, when I showed up at Final Battle for Ring of Honor with them. Mm-hmm. And then we showed up when our contracts ran out and still came to Ring of Honor and, like, beat them for the tag titles. Was that in Lakeland or something? Or? Uh, that is when we dropped the titles to him oh, right, before right. we debuted in WrestleMania. The day night. before, right? Or something. Yeah. yeah. But, but we had a deal set up and we were going to do like a three or four month program that was going to span across Ring of Honor television and TNA. It was it's great. Huge. The reason it didn't happen was because of Jeff Jarrett. He had just came in. Uh, Anthem had just bought TNA. Jeff Jarrett was in a bad place uh, in his life, he, you know, with his issues that he had going yeah. on. And, and, and he was the one who caused the issues that, that shut it down. And then I talked to Triple H, like when our deal was up, we ended up returning to WWE because we had a good offer and we're like, okay, well, we'll, you know, go here and we'll finish up or whatever. And uh, that deal ended up being suspended. But but ever since that time when I worked more than Jeff, it was me working with like Matt and Nick to like, you know, kind of like create and carve this angle out that we're going to do for multiple months over these two different companies. And then like once that didn't happen, we still stayed in touch. We're still great friends and whatnot. But I just had dinner with them. And we were just talking about different things, and AEW came out. Da, 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 da. I said, "Well, I'm just gonna kind of see what happens these next few months for me, and 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 see what I think is my best bet going forward because it is important to me to finish up strong as I end my career." And then just like I pitched idea after idea after idea after idea to WWE, and just like on my own, just I never got any feedback. I would hear a little chatter here, a little chatter there, but there was never anything that like stuck or like you know that anything that ever like sparked any kind of like creative fire in Vince's mind, you know? So then I just like became frustrating. And then like, they were just trying to resign me now at this point, just to have me under contract. So I was a WWE property and like, I kept turning down money, which was good money, but like I wanted to be in a prominent role in television. And I don't think Vince saw that for me. And then like, even right towards the end, when I did that stuff with Randy, apparently the first time we did the deal with Randy, the promo, and then he, that was uh, supposed to be your write off. That was supposed to be a write off, but, but you killed it. But and it did some you, yeah. great rating. But you also something. you also did a great promo oh, that night. Well, thank you. You did, but yeah. yeah. And 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 I did that. And then like they brought it back the next week, you know. And and then we ended up doing two. And that 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 week in the production meeting, we were going to have a two segment match that was going to end raw, right? A two segment match after I'd had a concerto and I was going to come out selling a neck brace. And I was like, okay, sure. You know, I'd I'd already pretty much made up my mind. I was gone at this point. You know, even though they actively tried to sign me, I couldn't like. 
have any kind of creative assurances. And that's what I wanted at this point. And I wanted like a, a dialogue with Vince, like, Hey, I need to know that you have my back and you're going to like protect my creative interest. You know, this isn't just like, Hey, I want this older guy because like he has some star power to his name or whatever. So, uh, that day in the production meeting, he's been like, I don't think we should have this match. I, Cause I, I think Matt's leaving. I don't think he's going to stay. I don't think he's signing. I think he's leaving. And I remember Paul Heyman grabbed me and said, to tell me the truth. Are you leaving? I said, I, I don't know. I said, if there's nothing for, me, uh, nothing for me to do here, I said, I can go elsewhere and be utilized in a better way. And that's what's important to me here towards the end of my career. It, that, what a weird day. And it was like, I, I was very honest and open with everyone. And, and I, I, I told everyone from Vince all the way down what I wanted. And like kind of what I expected if I was going to stay around. And, you know, once we were on the same page and I said, okay, well, thank you guys very much. You know, mm. I'll just I'll go my own way. And e even days after I left, I talked to, to triple H and he like, you know, was trying to give me some, some good after offers. your contract was after over yeah. contract contract was up, you know, and it's just like, he was cool. And I, and I feel like if, if triple H would have been the guy that was solely in power, I would have probably had a much better opportunity of kind of getting to do what I wanted creatively, mm -hmm. but it is what it is. I can think of some great angles that I pitched over the years. I've talked about them on this podcast, written about my books. Is there one that you pitched that you thought was really good that didn't did it, obviously so they didn't listen to your ideas? What was one that you pitched that you thought was really killer? I mean, one that I, I thought was great was like I pitched an idea to be off TV for a while and then start broadcasting vignettes from the Hardy compound as Broken Matt. And you don't know what's happened. I had a backstory to get there. But I just said, like, you know, I want a meeting with the authority, with Vince or Triple H or whatever. And this was after they came out in the end of 2018, I think. And they said, we're going to listen to the fans. We're going to give them what they want. You know, we haven't been listening to you. We're going to change our ways, whatever. And I said, <laughs> I, I forgot yeah, about that one. You know, <laughs> and I, I want to speak with these guys. And then, like, uh, they, they won't meet with me. And then, like, I start showing up and attack people backstage or production assistants, whatever it may be. And then eventually I get a meeting with Vince or Triple H or someone in the authority in the ring. What do you want? Do you want to get fired? Do you, do you, do you, do you, do you want us to release you? What do you want? Why are you out here? And I go, no, I don't want any of those things. I want to say the show because this is my, this is my home and I love it here. And you guys said in December of 2018, you were going to start listening to the fans and I don't think you have, and I want to. And what I pitch is give me 15, 10 to 15 minutes of the show. And I want to call it the broken block. I said, and my idea was like, give me underutilized guys like Chad Gable and Ali and Apollo, guys that aren't being utilized at all. Let me put them on that show. Let them do badass things. Let me put some vignettes with, from the Hardy Compound and House Hardy and just give me like 10 to 15 minutes and I'll call it the broken block every show and just see how it does. And I was Every like, week you'll highlight somebody yeah. doing vignettes yeah. and, and mini movies or whatever, yeah. Yeah, but, but but no, these guys have matches. We'll oh, they have matches, guys. We'll, in, in, in the arena, I'm almost like the little commissioner or like I'm heading up this broken block. And we try like give Ali and Chad, Cable, uh, Chad Gable a best of seven, mm -hmm. you know, and cut them loose. Let them have a great, mm -hmm. great matches. And, you're pulling the strings now and, for this yeah, little world. And, 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 and they'll become stars on their own just because of the quality of their matches. You know, and then we'll interject a little Vanguard one and we'll have some of the, you know, House Hardy on it, whatever. For the broken block, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. That's, mm -hmm. all, that's all I was asking for Never heard anything about it. You know, it's funny is is the original highlight reel. I pitched it as Jericho's Junction because I was watching a bunch of Mean Gene Okerlund interviews and myself included. When I first started doing interviews, he was the f Jedi. If you didn't know what you were doing, Gene would lead you through the interview and make you look like a star. And I said, why don't we do Jericho's Junction where every week, like a Piper's Pit, we bring out underutilized stars, whoever they were at the time. 
I'll lead the interview. We'll get the people over. We'll get them to do interviews and connect them with the crowd. And Vince is like, I love it. And your first guest is Goldberg. I'm like, well, Goldberg's not really the guy. I'm thinking more like, I don't know, whoever's it, Bull Buchanan. He's like, nope, Goldberg. And the next week, Scott Steiner. The next week, it's Rock. The next, I'm like, the whole concept of what I had is gone. And I was just another talk show, which is fine. It was great. But the original plan was much like yours. Let's right. give some of these underutilized guys a spotlight where somebody like me or you knows how to yeah. bring them along. And I mean, that, that was my whole thing. I said, like, look, I, I don't, I don't want to be the, I'm not, I don't want to be the world champion. I don't like have some undefeated strength. You don't need to like keep me strong on TV. Like, right. Just let, let me contribute to the show in a productive way. I said, and I can help out guys and that I can get my own character over by my utilization with these guys, you know, and just, I just never heard anything back about it. So what was the final, you kind of answered it, but what was the kind of the final straw where you said, I just got to go. I, I, I just, you know, I very quickly, I mean, months ago came to the reality they're really not going to utilize me in a way that I hope to be utilized. So it, it just, if I wasn't going to get that, I, I'm not just there to get a paycheck at this point. Mm-hmm. I want to enjoy what I'm doing. Right. Like I, I want to go out there and I want to have fun. I want to be excited. I'm just not here to like collect a paycheck. So as you're, you know, as, as, as you're thinking about other things, you're watching AEW, what did you see on AEW that really appealed to you? Did you know most of the guys or, or was it the vibe of the show or? Yeah, I, I knew most of the guys. They're just doing things that WWE would never do, which breaks protocol. As you know, like you know, Vince has a vision, and if it doesn't fall into that vision, it is not going to happen. Where I feel like AEW is 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 totally different. There, from the interactions I've had with with Tony Khan thus far, he seems to be very much on the pulse of the current wrestling fan, and he's very open to ideas. You know, if he is set on something, I think he'll 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 stay set on it. Absolutely, not but, a pushover. No. But but he he definitely has a good vibe on like what is different and what can work and like also expanding the boundaries of what we know professional wrestling to be, and that's what AEW was doing. And you could see the fans reacting to it like, oh my god, someone is finally listening to us. Mm-hmm. They're trying different out of the box things. It's not just like you know a, a, a paint by the numbers type cycle. Mm-hmm. They're finally breaking it, and and it's just like it became the cool, unpredictable show that was on TV. You know, and it's you can take it or leave it for whatever it is you're talking about the the, the Wrestling Observer Awards and listen, some people are into it, some people aren't. But you look at the top four promos, best interview: Jericho, Moxley, Cody, MJF. Those, excuse me, were the top four, and all of us. There's no script, right? Like Mox even said, no one's ever going to f- give me a script ever again. MJF said, I could never go to WWE because I don't want a script. I can't take. A, I don't need a script. That to me is kind of embodies the, the little bit of the different vibe where people can see it's a little bit more wild west by the seat of her pants, but it's much more the control is held by the guys themselves. Yeah, and guys get to play their own music. Yeah, and that's the music they're going to play best. Right, right, and either either you're going to sink or swim. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and if there is an occasion where you have someone that goes out there and sinks, they will probably learn greatly from it. Mm-hmm. You know, but like it's, it's very important. I mean, I feel like a talent comes off the most natural when they are doing what they know they do best and what they feel most comfortable doing. Now, you have a lot of ideas. I mean, you just, I still am buzzing over that dichotomy, that diatribe game, but what kind of ideas do you want to bring to, to AEW? I, I feel like going forward, I want to look into the broken mat, into the mind of, of broken mat, and, and there's more than just broken mat there. Also, the new broken mat, Damascus, being the essence that fuels me, has like a toggle ability where he can go from being the immortal 
I love this shit. The, the immortal Damascus, the vessel of Matt Hardy, as to being just the regular Matt Hardy, who is the dad of Maxwell and Woofy and Barty. What's the third brother's name? Uh, Barty. Barty. Short for Bartholomew. That's awesome. Yeah. Great name. So, uh, so, so, so that there's there's two of us. You know, there's broken Matt and there's regular Matt or mortal Matt. You know, I feel like there might even be more in there, and I think that's something we can discover as time. So many layers, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's one thing I've been saying. Like, actually, one of the original ideas for Blood and Guts for next week, which was supposed to be in Newark in front of fourteen thousand people, was to do it in Atlanta because they really wanted to pop the Atlanta market, which is also an arena. It was right in the middle of Cody and MJF, Jericho and Moxley, the the Kenny Bucks hangman thing. It's like we can't just plop a freaking double cage match into Atlanta just because that's the, the, the place we want. I said, right. where are we with extra minutes? We orchestrated that we'll get done with our stories. February 29th, the pay-per-view. Then Elite and your circle can go on. I said, what's the rush? We have weekly television. We have plenty of time mm-hmm. to tell all our stories. And the type of storyteller you are with all the different layers, you now have as much time as you need. There's no rush. Yeah. And no one's going to cut you off at the knees and wake up one morning and go, Nah, I'm sick of it. You know, then that's that to me is is a benefit because you know that you don't have to uh, try and cram too much in a short period of time. Yeah, no, it's it's a huge benefit. As we start to wind down here, who were uh, some of the guys that you saw in AEW that you really enjoyed the characters watching? Yeah, I mean, the first guy that really stood out to me was like uh, Orange Cassidy. Gosh, just because it's just such a unique thing which could never exist in Vince's world. You know, it would never get the opportunity, but like just the, they the, wouldn't get it. No, they would never get it. And it's just like, I dig it. He's so committed to it. Uh, he, he does it so well. You know, tonight was my first time meeting him, you know, so 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 it was very He's cool. He's the best guy, too. He's such a nice guy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Super humble. I, I, I knew he was super good, too. When when like my son, Maxwell, like he'd met Bray Wyatt when we did like the, you know, we did the the uh, the ultimate deletion. So like he knew him a little bit and he thought the, the Firefly Fun House was really funny. So like Maxwell likes him. But one time, Maxwell came up to me and said, hey, Dad. And he said, uh, Dad, Dad, why does, this kid, why does that guy do these lazy kicks? And then he did the whole Orange Cassidy shtick to me. And when I was watching AEW one night, I was like, whoa. Like, you know, it, you know, like if a kid emulates a guy that he sees, then he's like doing the He's right also thing. got a costume that people will dress up as him. Yeah. We saw the, so many kids, adults, everyone in between. And he's one of those guys, I've said this before, like I come from Vince's world. You left for a while. Yeah. I was... I'm a Vince disciple. I yeah, learned yeah. so much. Right. When I first saw Marco Stunt, when I first saw Darby Allen, when I first saw Orange Cassidy, I'm like, come on, guys. You know, this, this Orange Cassidy, I was like, why did we hire this guy? <laughs> Marco Stunt, I went on record like, you know, he's too small. Everyone used to say I was too small. Ray Mysterio was too small. Right. He's over, over is over. And these guys have such a fan base. Orange Cassidy, if we put the freaking title on him tomorrow, or Darby Allen, same thing, people would go freaking bananas and they right. would not have a problem with it right. at all and people would pay money to see them yeah that's what the secret of yeah. wrestling yeah, is that's, that's the magic yeah exactly uh very similar hardy's and bucks the first time i met the bucks i was like oh my gosh like you guys are like matt jackson and matt hardy so similar right nick is 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 not as out in space as 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 Nero is, mm-hmm. but it's the same thing. Big brother, little brother. Did you guys ever? Did you ever notice the similarities? Did you ever hear of them before you actually work with them? Because to me, that's a big money, big money match. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think as 
when we were getting to know them a lot better, when when I was working with Matt, probably more than Nick, uh, to like establish that like the storyline DNA yeah. ROH yeah, thing because Matt's you, you more could, the guy. Yeah, yeah, you could see that he was more the business guy of the two. Right. So so it, it was pretty obvious there. And then like once again, Nick is uh, a maniac when it comes to like doing whatever thing, yeah. whatever in the ring. Yeah, exactly. Just like just like yeah. Jeff is. Is is there? I guess it's probably hard to say. Is there a chance we might ever see that again? I I, I would love to. I, yeah. I think so. I mean, Jeff has a while left on his deal. Obviously, uh, there was you know he has over a year because he'd had some months tacked on you know between his injuries and whatnot and personal time away. But uh, yeah, I would I would say as Matt and Brooke Matt would say, never say never. <laughs> Well, dude, uh, it's amazing to have you here. Even though the world went nuts, to me, it's just like tonight's show is if you turn the sound down, it would still be amazing. So if you guys are at home going, I wish it was in front of people, then grab uh, an audience track. Just go. Right. (sighs) It was set up perfectly. It was uh, great stuff. Last question for you. What was your, uh, since you're now gone from WWE, is there a certain match or a segment that stood out for you as being your favorite in the last three years before you left and came here? Um, I, I, I really enjoyed the stuff that I did do as, as Woken Matt and just the fact that I was able to convince Vince and company to do that ultimate deletion mm-hmm. uh, and have that fight with Bray. It, it wasn't all that I wanted to be, but I am very proud that that got accomplished. It was done on the Hardy compound. It was. It was done on the Hardy compound. Shown as a... Short film. It had House Hardy, it had Vanguard One in it, and we did some cool stuff. Uh, you know, and and it, like it, it did great. It like trended worldwide for four hours afterwards. You know, like in the big scheme of business, that didn't mean anything, but it means that people did enjoy it and they were talking about it. So it was very productive, and and I feel like we could have done so much more there. But once again, Vince's world. But did would have Vince did Vince appreciate what you had done? He didn't understand it. <laughs> Even when they, you, they, 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 he was supposed to watch it earlier to clear it because it was going to go on last on Raw, and it did go on last on. It went on last. Wow, it went on last. But like he watched it in the production meeting, and a few people in there had watched it already. But after it was over and ended, everybody like clapped and stood up, and he was just kind of like looking around. And he told a couple people, "I just, I don't get it. Yeah, I just, I don't get it." I mean, if it does good, if it, if it does a number, then I'm truly out of touch. I think he said that. You know, it, it, it kept the audience over 3 million viewers, which was cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they it, would love that now. You know, right? Nobody gets 3 million you views know? now. So, so, so it, still, it, it did okay. You know? mm-hmm. But like, uh, I, I'm, I'm very proud I got to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, dude, it's great to have you here. And uh, next week, we may not be friends anymore. I don't right. know. But uh, either way, it's great to be here and uh, be a part of your addiction yeah it's great to be here and i do have to say because i only had the the small you know intro at the end of the show tonight was the considering the era we live in right now where there's like empty arena cards going on tonight was by far nothing is even close the best empty arena television show that has been produced in wrestling history i think so i agree. even more so and if we have to do more we'll figure out some more yeah shit. yeah we're gonna make it happen no doubt thank to you to the watch to the watch baby